Hey everyone, welcome to Inside Out again. It's nice to see all you guys tonight. Second week of Coffee Cup Theology. We're going to be talking about that again tonight. Tonight, obviously, the, the scripture is Philippians 4.13. I have a question. Can anybody in the room just recite that by memory? Philippians 4.13. John David. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. All the different versions. Very good, young man. That's proudly you. That's a good deal. What I want to do tonight is that is a, a very commonly used verse. And again, hear me right. I'm not picking on anybody that's used it. If you've used it yourself to draw strength from the Lord, good for you. That's not my goal in this. My goal in this whole series is to take the little bitty scriptures that we hang on to so tightly and really in all reality, here's what I want you to do. By the time we're done doing this, I want you to be able to hold on to them tighter. Because like we talked about last week with Jeremiah 29, 11, when you look at the context of what that scripture's in, the 20, 20, 20 verses before, 20 verses after, and you look at that scripture, it deepens the thought of what Jeremiah 29, 11 is for me, because then it means more. I still hang on to that script, that scripture, for I know the Lord, the plans that the Lord has for me, and I hang on to that. Just like Philippians 4, 13, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. But what I want to do again tonight is I want to put this thing into context a little bit, okay? But I want you guys to do me a favor real quick. Before we do that, turn to your tables and just mention maybe or think about when you've seen this verse used. A lot of times it's in uh, family struggles, it's in athletics. A lot of people will put this on their paint on their face, Philippians 4.13. Go ahead, talk about where you've seen this used, and then we'll come back up to the front of the room and run through it. Okay, everybody, back to the front of the room, if you would, please. Okay, so here's what we've been doing for the last couple of weeks, and I'm going to blitz through this. I've got ADD really bad tonight. My brain is all over the place because I have a really bad habit of taking a scripture, and there's so much within that, and I start try to force feed you guys with a fire hose every Wednesday night, hoping you might get one thing out of everything I talk about for 25 or 30 minutes. So tonight, hang in there with me. I'm going to do it again. You ready? Because we're going to cram all this into one night. Here's what I want to talk about. If I could, there's all sorts of people in this room, and I believe in the Bible, that could echo that last song, the goodness of God. All of my life you have been faithful. And my life began at the age of 38 when I became a Christian. So all my spiritual life, God's been very faithful. But I really believe when you look at Philippians 4.13 and what we're going to cover tonight, I believe that song would echo the Apostle Paul's life in a mighty way. And that's why I wanted to play that. If you got the theme of a couple of those songs tonight, it was the goodness of God, King Jesus, the goodness that he provides us, the faithfulness that he has. And I think when you look at the Apostle Paul, and sometime I'm gonna go through a series on all the different apostles because Paul is an amazing man, an amazing man. But the thing with Paul is he was really a terrorist before he come to know Christ. Acts chapter nine makes that very clear. Paul was in the business as a Jew of persecuting the way which were believers and Christians until he had an encounter with Christ on the road to Damascus. This just comes to mind. Why, you guys, please hear me on this because this is so critical. The apostle Paul, Saul, before he had the encounter on the road to Damascus, he ran into Jesus. Jesus says, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Takes him into Damascus. Paul's life was changed. I don't have time to get into that. But here's what changed Paul's life an encounter with Christ. And I really believe when you look at Philippians, because Philippians is one of four letters <clears throat> that the apostle Paul wrote while he was in prison, the prison epistles. Um, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon were all written 
when Paul was in prison, being obedient to God. So, but, but the, I can't help but wonder, if you, if you don't get anything else out of tonight, remember this. Moses had the burning bush. That changed him. That encounter with God changed him. Paul had the road to Damascus. His encounter with Jesus changed him. Has it changed you? Have you had that encounter with Christ? And if you have, are you a new creation? Did it make you different? Because when Paul was writing these letters from prison, I can't help but wonder if he didn't stop and think about the road to Damascus experience. And knowing that what happened that day changed him forever, and that's what helped him to endure through some of these times that he struggled with that we'll talk about in Scripture. So I want you to know the, the encounter you have with Christ, people will say all the time, well, I've just kind of grown up a Christian. I've always been a Christian. Not picking on you, but hear me. I think there's some things in the Bible that are very clear. And I think one of them is we have to know that we had a moment where we bumped into this guy named Jesus, gave our life to him, and we're not the same anymore. Because in moments like we're gonna talk about tonight, we have to have that moment because we're gonna run into life down the road. And when I run into life down the road, I have to go back to that moment in my mind and go, no. I'm not giving in and I'm not giving up because what happened that day, that night, whenever that was, it's real and it changed me. So I make decisions based on that day, not based on what I'm experiencing or how I might feel. You guys picking up what I'm laying down? Because Paul is this guy. Like we've been talking about with the Israelites, they were very disobedient to God, right? which got him into trouble with God. Got him exiled to Babylon, right? And the Assyrians came down from the north earlier on and all kinds of stories in scripture along that. But here's with Paul. Paul was not being disobedient. Paul was being very obedient. In the book of Acts, chapter 16, it talks about how Paul ends up in Macedonia. And he ended up in Macedonia because he wanted to go different places. Have you ever heard this saying, go west, young man? Well, guess what God told Paul to do? Go west. Paul wanted to go north, south, or east. That's where his heart was at. That's where he thought he wanted to go. But the Holy Spirit of God kept stopping him and wouldn't allow him to go there. And so Paul has a vision. This is Paul's second missionary journey. He's hanging out with Silas now instead of Barnabas and Mark. Silas is his traveling partner. This is his second missionary journey. He wants to go north, south, or east, but God says, go west, young man. And how God revealed this to him was in a dream. dream had, he, Paul had a vision, a dream of a man in Macedonia calling for Paul's help. So Paul wakes up from this vision, this dream that he had, and he tells Silas, hey, guess what? The Holy Spirit wants us to go this way. Not knowing what was gonna happen, that what happened to them is one of the most incredible stories in scripture. They show up in Philippi, which is in Macedonia. They show up in Philippi. Well, there's no synagogue in Philippi. And a synagogue is basically a church for Jewish people, or that's the first place Paul would go, is to the synagogue to witness to the Jews. Well, there's no Jewish people because in Philippi, there is no church. Paul had no desire to start a church in Philippi. He was just doing the will of God. Man, I want you to hear that. In your life is never gonna have, you'll have moments where they're good, but most of the time, if you're following God's will, hang on, buckle up, because you're gonna be in for a ride. And Paul had no idea what he and Silas were about to encounter. They get to Philippi, and there's no synagogue, so they go down by the river, and they run into these 10 ladies down by the river. And one of them is named Lydia. 
which happens to be, I'm a grandpa and that's one of my granddaughter's names, is Lydia. And Lydia was one of the first converts in Macedonia area in Philippi. She gets to know Paul, they get, they get to know each other, the church starts to grow, they get a synagogue, but along the way, I gotta short, shorten this up, along the way, um, happenstance being, and I'll talk about this later on because I got another message on my heart I'll do in about a month or so, Paul and Silas end up in prison. Why was Paul there? Because God told him to go to Macedonia, to Philippi, where Paul didn't want to start a church, but he starts a church there, and he and, he and Silas end up in prison in Philippi. This is Paul's memory of Philippi. Let's fast forward a little bit. So they leave Philippi after a while, they stay there, they, they leave after the church gets going, and Paul moves on because God moves him. Paul is very good about following the will of God and the direction and the prompting of the Holy Spirit. So they go back, they work their way back down to Caesarea Philippi and back down in Jerusalem. So Philippi, if you can look at the map, Philippi is right here. Caesarea Philippi, along the, or Caesarea along the beach right here along the Mediterranean Sea and then down in here by the Jordan River is Jerusalem. So Paul goes from Philippi when he leaves there after being imprisoned, after being beaten and locked in chains and stocks and put in the darkness of a dungeon of a prison, he gets out and he and Silas head back down to Jerusalem. So here's Jerusalem down here. Paul gets arrested at the temple. He gets arrested a lot. So Paul, Philippi, the book of, uh, the book of Philippians has not yet been written. All this is going on, the church has started back here down here to Jerusalem. Paul gets arrested in Jerusalem, ends up going to Caesarea, which is along the ocean here, the Mediterranean Sea, and gets put on a ship and goes all the way over here on a ship to Rome. And Rome, in Rome, he's in prison again. Why is he in prison? Because he's doing the will of God. But all my life you have been faithful, Paul says. So now he's in Rome and he's in prison. About two years now has gone by. And the Philippians send this guy, which we'll talk about in a second, from Philippi to Rome to bring Paul a gift because he's in jail. And while in jail in Rome, when you're, this is so convicting for me, you guys, because while Paul was in jail, because if he's doing the will of God, he's stuck. Most of us would think, Lord, what are you doing? You got one of the most famous apostles in the world and you got him stuck in a Roman prison again. But while in that Roman prison, he writes letters. Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon all are written why Paul is in prison with what we see would be very confusing because Paul is doing the will of God. But he's stuck. But while he's there, what's Paul do? See, all my life you have been faithful, Lord. Paul in his faithfulness is doing the work of God chained to a Roman soldier in prison in Rome. So that's kind of the setting for what you see going on in the book, of Philipp, or the book of Philippians. When Paul writes this letter, we're gonna get to chapter four, when he's writing this letter, this letter that Paul's writing is a letter of thanks or a letter of joy. The word joy is mentioned 16 times in this letter. In this little bitty four chapters, if you've never read Philippians, here's my challenge. Tonight, read it. It won't take you very long at all. It's four chapters. We covered this last summer on our missions trip down in South Carolina, but read it. It's the letter of joy. It's, the only, it's really the only letter, one of the only letters that Paul wrote that was not a corrective letter. 
It was just, a, I had a love you guys. I'm so thankful for you guys. Thank you for your provision. Thanks for taking care of me. If you can put it into words, it's a letter of thanks, a letter of joy, and it's not a letter of rebuke or correction at all. He loves the Philippians, and the Philippians love him. And we're gonna see that played out in just a second. Chapter four, if I can give it a definition, chapter four would be this, the mark of a Christian. If you really wanna know what Philippians 4.13 means tonight, Hang on to this because this will really help you a lot in life in general. Why? Because think about this. Paul, when he wrote this letter, the book, the letter of Philippians back to them, his memory was what I just explained to you guys. Being sent there, finding Lydia, ended up getting thrown in prison, putting stocks. He and Silas were beaten the town square being in prison for a while and then leaving again. That was Paul's memory of the Philippi. Think, what would you write? If you're thinking about Philippi and you think about your vacation experience in Philippi, was it, I got tossed into jail and beat, what would you write back to the Philippians? Well, I remember when I was there, <laughs> right? I'd be like, yeah, I remember what happened to me. That lunatic lady got me thrown in prison. Those guys beat me. I love you guys, but it was horrible. Paul doesn't write that. Paul writes this. Go to, go to your bulletins and go, I'm gonna work my way through the scripture and I'm gonna break it down a little bit and then I'll give you guys back to your small group tables. So we're jumping to Philippians chapter four and I'm gonna read verses 10 through 20 tonight, okay? And I'll stop along the way and give you guys some stuff to think about as I'm talking. Now think about, think of Paul's experience while he was in Philippi as I read this. The very first sentence, verse 10, chapter four, I rejoice greatly in the Lord when I think about you guys. <laughs> I don't know about you guys, but I don't know that I can make that statement like Paul does. He says this, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. Stop, oh, there's so much in this. I'm nagging you guys all the time about being obedient to God's will, right? When God prompts you to do something, right? What Paul is saying here, I rejoice greatly and that at last you renewed your concern for me. That's not a rebuke. That's not a rebuke at all. He said, you've always been concerned about me, but what he did, indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. Watch. Paul's in prison in Rome. He's writing this letter back to the Philippians and he's telling them, I'm so glad you did the will of God here and remembered that God remembered me. Because see, here's what Paul knew. While he was in prison in Rome, God's the one that laid it on the heart of the Philippians who gave them an opportunity to give to Paul. You understand what I'm getting at? If the Philippians had not been obedient to the prompting of God to be obedient to give to Paul, Paul would have never received this gift because they didn't have any opportunity until God prompted them, then they gave. See the obedience? And Paul, that's what Paul is saying. You've been given an opportunity by God to be faithful to give and you did it. And I'm so grateful that you did it. That's what's going on here. He goes on to say in verse 11, I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I have learned to be content in whatever the circumstances. Do you think Paul was in need while he was in prison in Rome? I would consider myself in need. <laughs> I would say I have some needs, and one of the needs I have is to get out of prison, because I don't like it here. Because James says, count it all joy, brothers, when you go through trials of many kinds, right? Paul's counting it joy. Because Paul knows while he's there, he's still doing the work of the Lord. And we're going to talk some more about that later on. But Paul says, I'm not in need. I, for I have learned, key word there, listen, students, look at me. I have learned. 
This is something the, the Apostle Paul is who we're talking about here. Because see, we get really hard on ourselves as Christians sometimes. We get to beating ourselves up a little bit because I'm not all that in a bag of chips as a Christian. I don't seem to be getting it right. The, the Apostle Paul told the Philippian church, I have learned to be content in whatever the circumstances. If you can't have that testimony tonight, keep learning. Keep growing. Don't stop. Don't beat yourself up. Keep going. Does that make sense? The Apostle Paul says, I have learned to, I've learned to be content in all this, no matter what the circumstance. Verse 12, I know that if, if I'm in need, if, if there is a need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I know what it is to be in need and I know what it is to have, to, to have plenty. I have learned, again, the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. Pause. So what's he telling them? Who provides for him? God. Because Paul says, God gave you the opportunity to give to me. And Paul says, whether I have a lot or a little, whether I'm in a trial or a blessing, I've learned the secret of being content in every situation. See what he's doing? This whole, this whole section is about the strength of Christ, but what it is, it's about living with contentment in Christ. I know, because Paul's content because he knows while he's in prison in Rome, God's still providing for him. Then he goes on to tell the Philippians, I can do all this, the NIV says, all this, all what? No matter what the situation or circumstance is, I can do it all through Christ who gives me strength. See, we like to use this verse as, and, and again, there's nothing wrong with that. We talked about that at this table just a second ago. If this verse pops up in my head, and I may use it a little bit out of context, what, I've, what have I done still? I've turned my eyes to the Lord. So in that, doing that, keep doing that, even if you don't understand the context, if this scripture is something that's meant something to you, hang on to it. There's absolutely nothing wrong with that because you're turning your eyes to the Lord, but this scripture deepens for you now because you're not looking at, I can do all things, I can do this exercise, I can lift this weight, I can win this game because Christ strengthens me. Strengthens you for what? To have victory or to bring him glory? When you pray for athletics, you pray for a test, you pray for whatever that is, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. That's great, but most of the time those all things are gonna be a trial that you're going through because Paul says even in plenty or in want, I can do all things through him. I can do all this through Christ who gives me strength. All what? Life. So when you see this on a football player's helmet or on somebody's shoes or somebody recites this in a situation where they're having trouble, there's nothing wrong with that. But deepen it and look at what the context of this thing is because if you look at it, no matter what you're going through, Christ will give you the strength to get through it for his glory and we'll talk some more about that in a minute. Verse 14, yet it was good for, of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days, your acquaintance with the gospel, you, you, your acquaintance with the gospel when I was set out for Macedonia, but not one church shared with me in the matter of giving or receiving, except only you. Paul loved these guys. They helped him, and this is really key, for even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. So Paul still says, I have a need, 
But Paul knows where his need is fulfilled from, and it's not horizontal circumstances. It's people being obedient to the prompting of the Holy Spirit. Verse 17, not that I desire your gift. What I desire is that, it be more, that, that more be credited to your account. What in the world does that mean? We don't talk much about this as Christians, and I'm very careful with this conversation. But when they gave, you know what they're doing? Storing up treasures in heaven. When they're giving to Paul, they're actually building up their own account in heaven. And someday they will receive rewards. When they hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant, there are rewards for us in heaven. We don't talk much about that because we never want to take that out of context. We never want to think, well, I'm doing this because I'm storing up treasures in heaven. We joke about that at times, but I don't do what I do because I'm storing up treasures in heaven. I do what I do out of obedience to God because I love him and because I want to bless somebody else. That's what the Philippians are doing here. Going on in verse 18, it says, I have received full payment and have, have more than enough. I am amply supplied. And now that I have received a gift from Epaphroditus, the gifts you sent, this is a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. That is such a powerful statement. This is a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, and pleasing to God. Because ultimately, who were the Philippians given to? Paul or God? God. When we give, we're actually giving unto the Lord. If I go up and I give Hallie a gift because God laid it on my heart, what that is, is I'm giving out of my, I'm giving it unto the Lord. I'm giving it as though I'm giving it unto Christ. So when you guys do something nice for someone out of the obedience to God's prompting in your heart, you're storing up treasures in heaven. You will receive rewards when you get there. But right now, you're just doing it as though you're doing it for God. So no matter what the person, let's say I come up to Carson and I have a gift for Carson. God lays it on my heart and I say, he says, Carson, I did, let me, let me share it this way. I did something earlier tonight out of the blue. I was driving through town and God asked me to do something. And it was to encourage someone else in town who's another pastor at another church. And I did it. I didn't do it for him. I did it for God. Because no matter how that other person responds to the gift I gave, I know I'm doing the right thing because I did it for God and I have an encouragement in my heart from the Lord so I'll keep doing it. If I give a gift to you and you go, I don't really want this and you're kind of mean and I think you're rotten. I go, well, I'm not doing that again. Why? Right thing, wrong reason. Make sense? So when you're, when you're reading these things, this fragrant offering literally means they gave that gift to Paul but they were given unto the Lord. And he goes on to say, and my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. Meet all his needs means this. The Philippians were poor. The Philippians were giving out of their poverty. Don't you dare wait to give to someone until you think you have enough money to do it. You do it because you're being obedient to God. The Philippians, it says in, in, in the book of Corinthians, it makes it very clear that the Philippians were poor. And what they gave to Paul was out of their poverty, and that's why Paul says, the same God I serve will provide all your needs. Notice it wasn't wants, it was needs. That's what God does, he provides our needs. So don't get mixed up when you have desires in life and you think God's not there, which we're gonna talk about in just a minute. Don't mix wants and needs. Paul wanted probably out of prison. I'm having to guess that Paul had times he was like, Lord, in times of prayer, hello, He's human. I don't know that, but I'm thinking he's human and he's not much different than you and I, so there had to be times of struggle. Turn to your bulletins real quick. I'm gonna bust through this and give you guys back to your groups. 
I put this down this way, learn to be content, because I really believe that's one thing most Christians will never experience. It's not, not contentment horizontally in your situation or circumstance, not talking about that, talking about spiritual contentment, that I'm okay with God and I know God's there with me. Spiritual contentment is something we all need to learn in, my, in life, I believe, because the Apostle Paul makes it very clear. Four reasons spiritual discontentment happens. To be discontented, I think there's four things real quick. One, being filled with self. You're convinced life's all about you. Oh, I love God, but life's kind of about me. And I really don't like what I'm experiencing right now, and I wish God would kind of get me out of it, and it really makes me uncomfortable. Being filled with self and having your, watch, having your eyes rather than doing this outward, having your eyes turned in on you. I promise you, I've lived this life, I know what it feels like. The only time I really struggle in life is when everything becomes about me. And does it at times? You better believe it does, I'm human. But when it does and I realize it, I get my eyes off myself, I lift them up to Christ, and then I bring them down to you guys, down to horizontals. Does that make sense to you guys? So when you're stuck and you don't know what to do and it's overwhelming, you gotta ask yourself, Lord, are my eyes on me or you? And I guarantee you, I can't guarantee you, I guess that would be a little boastful, but I. I would ask you to consider, most of the time, eyes are gonna be on yourself because it becomes about you. Second thing, being filled with pity. It's just, this is so hard. I don't like being a Christian, it's so tough on me, and it just stinks, and I got a pity party going on, and I'm like, I don't know what to do, and this isn't working, and I look at my social media accounts, and everybody else has got it going on, and my life sucks, and I don't know what to do. Again, you got your eyes on yourself, and what you're doing is you're comparing your life Men and ladies, God bless you ladies in the room because you're horrible at this. You're comparing yourselves to others and that will create a pity party every single time. Men, we don't do that as much, but ladies, you guys are terribly bad at looking at other girls in your life and starting to compare horizontally in your life and it gets you to where you got a pity party going on. What I want you to do when you're doing that is you go, no, Lord, no. You've made me the way I am. You love me the way I am. I'm walking with you. I'm doing the best I can and my eyes are gonna go from here to here. Don't have a pity party. Being filled with criticism of God and others. Don't you even care about me? Nobody cares about me. Nobody cares about me. I don't even know what to do. It's like I'm all alone. Nobody cares about me. And I can tell you this much, I don't even think God cares about me. Why should I even try? Ever ran into those people? I believe they're not content in Christ because they're filled with criticism because they're looking at others and, they're, and looking at me causes me to compare myself to others. I'm looking at others and I look up and I'm like the disciples in the boat. Don't you even care? Here I sit, Lord, and I don't, I, you don't even care. So when you're not content, when you're a discontented person spiritually, you gotta ask yourself, am I doing this? And being filled with worry, this is the worst, you guys. I believe, the, go read Matthew chapter six, the latter verses, it talks about worry. I believe this, worry is not trusting God. I really do. I think when we worry, and Jesus tells me, don't worry, I got this. When we worry, I think we're not trusting God. And listen close to me. When I'm worrying, I'm worrying about things I can't control, which makes me discontent spiritually. When I'm concerned about something, I'm praying about what I'm concerned about. Worry, when you think about worry, I'm always worrying about the things I can't control. That makes me discontented. 
When I'm concerned about something, I bring that concern to the Lord, I'm praying, I'm not discontent. I'm very full in my heart because God's ministering to me. See the difference? But worry will destroy you every time. Four ways, 30 seconds or less. You ready? And I'm gonna leave you guys to read these over when you do this because it's such, and I've got a lot of scripture references in there tonight in your bulletin. Please go home and read the Bible and look at the scripture references. The first thing, four ways to learn how to be spiritually content. Learn to trust in the presence of God. When Paul was in Rome in prison and when he writes this letter to the Philippians, he had to know God was there with him, you guys. He wasn't abandoned, he wasn't left. God's not left us. And I don't have time to get into Acts chapter 16, but read that. Joshua says, um, be strong and courageous. I will never leave you, I will never forsake you. Jesus says in Matthew 28, 20, I will be with you low until the end of the age. So when you feel alone and you feel lost, you have to make a choice to be, discont- or to be contented spiritually. I'm gonna choose to know God's here with me. I've mentioned this to you guys before. One of the best things I've ever learned from my pastor was this. My faith has always grown the strongest when I didn't feel God anywhere nearby. It's when I've always grown the strongest as a Christian when I can't feel God within about five state region. I know he's still there with me and I make a choice. No, Lord, I know you're here. Sin has not divided us. I know you're here with me and I'm gonna choose to believe that you're always at work. Second thing is this. Learn to trust in God's provision. Notice the words there, you guys. Learn. Stay in the fight. Keep growing as a Christian. When you screw up, you fail, keep going. Learn to trust in God's provision. He's there for you no matter what. Everything belongs to God and everything we have is a gift for God. Be thankful for what God provides you that you need. The other part is this. Learn to trust in God's protection. We talked about this a little bit last week. Jesus' priestly prayer, John 17, verse 15. My prayer is that you not take them out of the world, but to protect them from the evil one. God doesn't want to take you out of this mess. He wants to protect you. He knows when your turn's going to go to heaven. He understands all that, but he wants to protect you. See, I have to know when I'm in prison like Paul, I know God's protection is over me. I know he's watching over him. I know his provisions are real. That's what he says to the Philippians. Thank you for giving to me when God gave you the opportunity to do it. But I know God's there to protect me. No matter what, I know he's with me. God loves you and he desires to protect you from the evil one. The last one is this. Learn to trust in God's power. The power of God, that's what gave Paul strength, was he found strength in Christ because the same Holy Spirit that hovered over the water at the beginning that raised Jesus from the grave dwells in us as a Christian, you guys, but we never never pull for it. You guys have heard me do this before. You take that lamp and that lamp's a light, right? But if I go over there and, and unplug that lamp for the power source, is it still a lamp? Yes. It's just unplugged from the source. It doesn't have any power to light up its life. You guys have got the Holy Spirit of God dwelling in your heart. Not only is he with you and for you, he dwells in you. There's nothing you can't do with his help. Nothing you can't do in ministry. That doesn't mean that I can't go out and buy a new Corvette. That's not what it's talking about. It's talking about the important needs of life. And God will always be there with me. He'll give me the power and the strength that I need when I call on him then I can do all things through him who gives me strength. Turn to your small groups and we'll wrap up here in just a little bit.
All right, everybody, let's get this thing wrapped up with a couple of thoughts to close, and then I'll pray we'll be done get you out of here, okay? Um, I want to tell you guys, by the way, real quick, thanks for putting up with me. Because I know on a Wednesday night I get too carried away, I talk too fast, I share too much information, and you guys keep showing up. So thank you for showing up and listening and putting up with me. But let me give you a couple thoughts to close with. Another secret to being content, I really believe, is worry-free worship and praise. There is power in praise. And I believe that with all my heart. When you guys, we were just sitting here talking about this over at this table. When you guys feel you're in prison and in the dark of night you don't know what to do and everything else seems hopeless and you seem lost, I challenge you. Remember what Paul and Silas did when they were in prison in Philippi. They started at midnight singing songs of praise and worship to their God. And it says in the, I love this story, it says in the Bible, and they were loosed of their chains. As they sang worship to God, they were loosed of their chains. Whatever is chaining you in life in the middle of the night and you don't know what to do, you have to follow that pattern that Paul and Silas give us and you will be freed of your chains. Why? Because it's the same God today, yesterday, and always. And he's there with you in the dark of that night. There's no reason to give up. God's with you. And the reason they did this is I really believe Paul saw life from God's perspective. Paul knew when he was in that prison, God was up to something. And what he was up to was writing a lot of the New Testament. So I would tell you that I really believe, and he was grateful in that prison for all the blessings that God had sent him through the Philippian church. So here's my challenge to close with tonight. I believe when you're stuck in those spots, if you wanna be content, worship praise. That's why we set our hearts up when we're doing praise and worship on a Wednesday night. And the last thing I would tell you is this. When you got your eyes on yourself, I want you guys to get your eyes on Christ and have an eternal perspective in the midst of whatever circumstance or situation you're going through. Because God, Paul's trust in the Lord's, in the Lord's presence, his provision, his protection, and the power of the Holy Spirit I really believe because Paul had an eternal perspective, he found contentment in his horizontal situations and then he could say, I can do all this through Christ who strengthens me. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we love you and we're so grateful, so grateful for your word, Lord, and just the encouragement and the truth. I just pray, Lord, that you convict each one of our hearts tonight with a few things. One, that we learn. We're talking about the apostle Paul, Lord, making this statement, I've learned to be content in all situations and circumstance. Give us a desire, Lord, to learn these things, that you're always with us and that you provide what we need and that your, your protection's always there watching over us and that we have the power of your Holy Spirit that dwells in us. Help us to learn to be content so that we can rightly, with a depth of understanding in our hearts, say, I can do all this through Christ who gives me strength. For it's in his name we pray, amen. Love you guys, you are dismissed. Have a great night, everyone.